Well, over the last two weeks, we've been looking at the creation account in Genesis 1, and we can't help but stand in awe of God's creative power, such power that he could speak the universe into being. And as you go through the creation account, and, and God creates more, it kind of, the picture fills out, it gets more exciting, and it's almost as if it's building up uh, to some kind of crescendo. Uh, and in, it, in a sense, it is. Uh, but perhaps not the kind that we might expect. I wonder, does it strike you as odd that the culmination of God's incredible act of creation is rest? Day 7 comes at the beginning of chapter 2, but there were no chapters and verses in the original Hebrew. It just ran on as one continuous story. The crescendo at the end of creation week is rest. And this might seem a little strange to us because our culture doesn't value rest highly. Uh, Leisure activities, yes, we like those. uh, But rest, in the truest sense of the word, not so much. The word Sabbath derives from the word stop. And so the Sabbath is literally the stopping day. Uh, That doesn't sound very exciting to us. That doesn't sound like much of a finale. Uh, God stop work. What do we even mean by that? God stop work. Well, that certainly doesn't affirm uh, deism. That's the belief uh, that God created the cosmos and then stood back, as it were, and just let everything run on without God being involved in any way whatsoever. Deists believe that God only uh, was involved in creation. And then after that, he adopted a hands-off approach and doesn't get involved. Uh, That's what deists believe. Uh, Well, in John 5.17, Jesus says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. No, this first Sabbath indicates that God's work of creation was complete. But there's more to it than that. Verse 2 says that God rested from all his work. And again, what does it mean to say that God rested? Does God get tired? Of course not. The prophet Isaiah wrote, The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. So why did God rest? Well, when we look at the uh, creation account, we see that every time God made something, it says God saw that it was good. Until we get to the end of day six, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good. In other words, God was completely satisfied with his work of creation. That is what it means to be re- to rest, to, to be utterly satisfied with what has been done. Is that how we feel at the end of our working week? No, it isn't. Because we never really feel like we're on top of it. There's always something else to be done. Uh, very often we're just relieved to have survived the week. Uh, some people do rest towards the end of the working week, but it's not always because they're satisfied with what's been done. It's because they can't motivate themselves to do any more. Uh, I saw a photo of a man sat at his desk, and I assume it was Friday. He had a thought bubble above his head which read, in just one hour from now, I'll only have four hours left until I have to work a mere three hours. (laughs) Our attitude towards work and our understanding of rest is completely out of whack. God planned his work, he executed it, 
And then he stood back to admire and enjoy it. God rested. That is to say, he was utterly satisfied with what had been done. Now, last week, we were looking at what it means to be made in God's image. Well, part of that, perhaps a significant part of that, is being able to rest in the truest sense of the word. Rest in the way that God rested. But we don't seem able to do that because uh, our culture is characterized by restlessness. We are always on the go, if not with work, then with leisure activities until our leisure activities begin to feel like work. Uh, I read an article by the Jewish journalist uh, Judith Shulovitz, and she writes for the New York Times. Uh, She said, we pursue leisure options with an exemplary degree of professionalism and perfectionism. And it's true. And we impose this on our kids as well. We rush from activity to activity in an endless frenzy of striving, uh, trying to help them become competent and confident and well-rounded young people. Uh, And then there's the advances in technology that have made it possible for us to work anywhere. And so we work everywhere. And we've all got access to our work emails on our phone. And we can't resist the urge just to check them and to deal with them. Let's try and get ahead a bit, maybe before Monday. Uh, Workaholism is a disease which is all too prevalent in the Western world. Moreover, we're bombarded with a huge amount of information and stimulation A person living in a village in the Middle Ages would probably receive less information in their life uh, than we receive in the space of a week. And we've got to process, our brains have got to process all this information. There's always background noise, TV, radio, YouTube, something on in the background. I've been on many pastoral visits where I've had to uh, politely ask someone to turn the TV off because it's just blaring in the background, no one watching it. It's like we don't know what to do with silence. Then the social media, always increasing our levels of dissatisfaction and restlessness. We see what other people are doing, maybe the the people we went to school with, and their lives look so exciting and wonderful, and our lives seem rather dull and mundane by comparison. Often the first thing we see in the morning and the last thing we see at night is the glow of that little screen sucking us in and narrowing the horizons of our world. And then we wonder why we can't sleep. And because of all this activity, information, stimulation, striving, because of all this restlessness, we can no longer enjoy the small pleasures of life. Uh, Because of all this, we are restless. We, We find that we get bored very quickly and easily. We want to keep moving on to the next thing, the next job, the next project, the next relationship, the next holiday. God isn't like that. God isn't restless. God enjoys and savors creation. He never gets bored. God rests. In his wonderful book, Orthodoxy, the Catholic philosopher G.K. Chesterton wrote this. The repetition in nature seems sometimes to be an excited repetition. The grass seemed signaling to me with all its fingers at once. The crowded stars seemed bent on being understood. The recurrences of the universe rose to the maddening rhythm of an incantation. And I began to see an idea. Before chil- but, uh, because children have abounding vitality, 
Because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until they are nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we. So God is not restless. God delights in the rhythm of creation. God rests in the truest sense of the word. Our culture, of which we are a part, uh, is anything but restful. Uh, The Sabbath, the idea of taking uh, a day of rest, is seen as monotonous and wasteful. There are so many more things that we can think of that we'd like to be doing, and we want to be free to enjoy those things. We want to be free. Interestingly, the Sabbath only became a thing for Israel after the Exodus. After Israel were freed from slavery in Egypt, it is only then that they're not only able to enjoy the Sabbath, but they're commanded to do so. Even slaves and animals were to rest on the Sabbath. And so working seven days a week becomes the worst form of slavery. No one in Israel was expected to do it. We ought to rest, but we don't know how. We seem to despise rest. We are restless. But why? Why are we so restless? Well, there are three questions that we're all trying to answer. We may not realize it, but we are, and they have to do with identity, meaning, and purpose. Identity, who am I? Meaning, why am I here? Purpose, what am I meant to do with my life? In addition to these questions, which are difficult enough on their own, we have a deep sense of there being something wrong with us, a nagging doubt that we don't quite measure up. And there is something wrong with us. It's called sin. We think and say and do things that we know are wrong. And because deep down we all know that we're sinful, we try and compensate for this. We try and justify ourselves and our existence. We try to validate ourselves. We, we, we want to affirm to ourselves and others that we're good people, that we make a valuable contribution to the world. We seek approval and we seek love. We want to know that we are worthy of being loved by ourselves and by others. And it is this constant striving that Tim Keller called the work beneath the work. If we are striving to prove our worth then our work is never done because we are sinful. We are unworthy. There's nothing we can do to change that. And if our work is never done, if we cannot be satisfied with the work that has been done, then we can never rest. We'll always be striving to succeed, to to, to measure up, to be a good person, and so on. Now, this could almost sound like a hopeless situation, but there is an antidote to our restlessness. The 4th century theologian Augustine of Hippo famously wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We will only ever find true rest in God. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The religious leaders were always accusing Jesus 
of breaking the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, we heard how uh, the Pharisees saw Jesus' disciples picking heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath, and they were outraged. They said to Jesus, look, look what your disciples are doing. This is unlawful. And Jesus replied, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, the Old Testament Sabbath laws point forward to Jesus, point forward to the one who can give us true rest, true freedom, true peace, true contentment, true joy. Because those who are in Christ do not have to strive to be good enough. We know that we're not good enough, but Jesus loves us and is willing to forgive us all the same. Jesus took our sins upon himself so that if we put our faith and our trust in him, God will look at us as being sinless, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus was on the cross at the very last, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. If God is done achieving your salvation, don't try to add anything to it. The work is done. And that means that we can find our rest in Christ Jesus. No more striving. Yes, we have to work hard. Yes, life can be demanding, uh, draining even. But we can do away with the work beneath the work. We can do away with the endless and inexhaustible work of trying to prove ourselves, the work of trying to assure ourselves that we matter, that we're someone important. Jesus loves you and died for you. Of course you matter. Of course you're important. And for those of us who know Jesus, those three crucially important questions are answered. Who am I? I'm a son or a daughter of the living God. Why am I here? Because God loves me and wants to have a relationship with me. What am I meant to do with my life? Well, primarily, we're meant to reflect God's goodness and glory out into the world. And we're meant to reflect creation's praises back to God. So did Jesus abolish the Sabbath? You know, we don't have to worry about it anymore. I've got Jesus, so I don't have to worry about the Sabbath. No, Jesus didn't abolish the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. And he revealed himself as the person whom the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath principle in Genesis 2 abides. Uh, Verse 3 says, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. In the Old Testament, blessing something normally means to make it fruitful. So by blessing this day, God is designating it as a day that is to be uh, particularly fruitful. Not in the sense of getting work done, but in the sense of uh, being what we're called to be, being what we've been created to be. Uh, The Westminster Catechism famously states that the chief end of man or humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what the Sabbath is for. And nothing can be more fruitful than that. That is what we're meant to focus on, on this holy day, this uh, day that's set apart, exalted, lifted up above the other days. This is not a day to do absolutely nothing. This is a day to do the very best of things. And what could have been better for the disciples to do on the Sabbath than to walk and eat with Jesus? 
What could have been better for Jesus to do on the Sabbath than to reveal God's heart by healing people, restoring them, loving them? If we don't apply the Sabbath principle to our lives, we'll be terribly impoverished. For a start, we'll be less accurate image bearers because God rested. But also, we'll begin to forget that our true rest comes from Jesus. Life is not about working harder, performing better, striving more relentlessly. We need to take time to be utterly satisfied with the work that Jesus has completed on our behalf. We need to take time to enjoy the relationship with God that Jesus has opened the door to. So when and how do we do that? Well, we know that the Jewish Sabbath is on a Saturday, uh, but very soon after the resurrection, Christians adopted Sunday as their Sabbath, as their day of rest, because that's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. When God's work of creation was finished, God rested. Well, the resurrection of Jesus is an act, God's first act, of new creation. And that is when most Christians uh, take their day of rest. Uh, But actually, we don't need to make hard and fast rules about this. In Romans 14, Paul addresses what he calls disputable matters. And he mentions the keeping of holy days. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Now, I don't think we can be 100% sure that Paul was talking about the Sabbath. There were other holy days. But in this case, what seems to be important is the motivation. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So if a Christian keeps the Sabbath on a Saturday or a Sunday or any other day, that's okay, so long as they are motivated by a desire to honor God. Uh, personally, I like the idea of the Sabbath being on a Sunday because that is Resurrection Day. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we have our service on a Sunday. Uh, but we don't need to get legalistic about this. So that's the when. What about the how? Well, going back to that article I mentioned by Judith Shulevitz, she wrote this. She said, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. She goes on to say, interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of the will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction. In other words, we have to be really intentional about this. We have to prioritize well. I expect you've seen the illustration where someone gets a large uh, glass jar and they fill it with ping pong balls. And they say to their audience, is the, is the jar full? And the audience say, yes. And then they leave the ping pong balls in the jar and they get a load of small pebbles and they pour the pebbles into the jar and they fill the space around the ping pong balls. And they say, again, is the jar full? And everyone says, yes. And then they get some fine sand and they pour that into the jar and they fill the jar to the brim. Is the jar full? Yes. And the point is, if you reverse the process and put the sand in first, then you no longer have room for the ping pong balls. The really important things in our lives, our relationship with God, the Sabbath, family, these are the ping pong balls that need to go into the jar first. If we prioritize the trivial stuff over the important stuff, there'll be no room left for the important stuff. Now, the Sabbath 
isn't just about attending church, but I think coming together as a body of Christ is an important part of that. Of course, there are perfectly valid reasons why somebody may not be able to get to work. Shift work, uh, caring for an elderly relative, illness, uh, family holiday, those sorts of things. But, but I would suggest uh, that if we are walking around Ikea or washing the car or doing an exercise class when the rest of the body is worshipping God together, then we may not have understood the importance and significance of Sabbath. Uh, and we will have failed to prioritize wisely and well. Sometimes keeping the Sabbath will involve sacrifice. Uh, a lady in this church told me, and I, this is definitely not possible for everyone, uh, but she told me that she'd um, taken a reduction in pay in order that she wouldn't have to work on a Sunday. That's quite a sacrifice. Uh, another, another example, when our kids get invited to birthday parties that are on a Sunday, we have to say no, because we want them to grow up with the understanding that the Sabbath is really important and coming together with the rest of the church to worship God is an essential part of that. In the 1924 Olympic uh, Games in Paris, uh, a Scotsman by the name of Eric Little refused to run in the heats of his uh, favorite event, the 100 meters, uh, because they were being held on a Sunday. Uh, He ran instead in the 400 meter race, uh, the heats, which were being held during the week. And there's been a film made about him. You've probably all heard about it. Uh, you, you may well have seen it. A film called Chariots of Fire, quite an old film now. Uh, but it's an incredible story, remarkable story, not least of all because Eric Little went on to win the uh, Olympic gold medal in the 1924 uh, 400-meter Olympic final. I think it's often the case that when we honor God with our time and our resources and our money, when we honor God, God honors us. We live in a world that is full of demands, distractions, and temptations. But if we are to keep the Sabbath holy, we must learn to say no. But in so doing, we have a day that is fruitful in the best sense of the word, a day that is honoring to God when we are built up, encouraged, and strengthened in our faith. Taking the Sabbath seriously will bring balance back to our lives. But it's not just about being together as a church. You know, we can be here for an hour and a half uh, for, for, for the service, but then the rest of the day could still be an absolute frenzy of activity. If that's happening, then it may be that we're not getting as much benefit out of the Sabbath as we could do. But don't hear me wrong, I don't want to be too prescriptive. Yes, I think worshipping together, having fellowship, family time, these are all important Sabbath day activities. But I'm not trying to tell you how to spend the rest of the day. That'll vary. You know, If you spend your whole week chained to a desk, then getting out for a walk and taking some exercise on the Sabbath might be a really valuable use of your time. If you have a really hard physical manual job, then you might want to take it a bit easy on the Sabbath, but whatever we do, we should ask ourselves the question, how can I honor God with my time and my whole being on this day? How can I honor God with my time and my whole being on this day? Let's do the best things on the Sabbath, the things that build us up in the Christian life and bring us closer to Jesus. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, 
and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know, all of us know, that uh, there are times when our lives are are not balanced in the way that they should be. Uh, Sometimes we can feel guilty about that. Sometimes uh, we're just so busy we, we haven't even got time to think about it. Heavenly Father, help us to bring balance back to our lives by having a day when we intentionally honor you with our time and with our whole beings. Help us, Father, to get a balance. Help us to recognize that you have done the work for us. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves worthy of your love. You love us. We don't have to earn our salvation. You have saved us. Heavenly Father, we pray that we can have a day uh, where we're reminded of these things, when the striving and the work and the doing can cease. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.